reading a longer passage today, verses 10 through 32. Hear now God's word. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road As you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues uh, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenist, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. And thus far, the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord uses many people, public people, private people, old, young, male, female, powerful, obscure, weak, and strong to accomplish his purposes. Surely we can find ourselves in that list somewhere. When we think of the ninth chapter of Acts, our first thought is regarding Saul of Tarsus and his Damascus Road experience. 
But we must not overlook the other important and essential actors uh, in this story. This morning, we want to notice two of those, Ananias and Barnabas. And then next time, we'll consider Aeneas, Dorcas, and Simon. So verses 10 through 19 deal with Ananias, or we began there with him. We left our story with Saul, the persecutor, headed to Damascus with arrest warrants from the high priest for any Christians that he could find. He could drag them out of their houses, bind them, arrest them, and take them back to Jerusalem to stand trial. Uh, His intent was to wipe out the church and to shut down any further expansion of the disciples of Jesus. He left Jerusalem with authority and power uh, to execute his plan. Nevertheless, as he approached Damascus, Jesus arrested him instead. He was laid low on the ground. He was blinded by the light. And he's now being led by the hand to Damascus to await further instruction from Jesus. Dramatic turnaround. Can't, couldn't be any more dramatic than that. The absolute picture of repentance, right? You're going this direction, you, you're stopped, and you turn around and, and go the other way. That is the picture we have here of what is happening to Saul. It is clear that there was already an established community of Christians in Damascus. And, in fact, that's why Saul was headed there, right? He was going to try to wipe out that community. So when Paul retells this story uh, that we're reading about in Acts 9, he retells it a couple of times in Acts, but he tells it in Acts 22.12, he describes Ananias as a devout man according to the law. So he was likely Jewish, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there. So Ananias is a Christian, but he's a Jewish Christian, and he has a great reputation. He's a devout, godly man. And so uh, we get that little insight. And here in Acts 9, he is simply described as a certain disciple. It occurred to me that Ananias, being fairly well-known, uh, would likely have been one of the ones that Saul would, would have arrested. Uh, that was his plan. And so if, if, if this man had that reputation of being a disciple, he might have been one of the first ones that Saul sought out to handcuff and haul off. So the Lord appears, though, not only to Saul, as he already had on the road to Damascus, but also to Ananias. In fact, Luke gives us a longer account of the dialogue with Ananias than the dialogue with Saul. He is uh, more than a messenger. His reactions are important. So this is the story of how the Lord encountered both Saul and Ananias and in his providence brings these two men together. Saul's aggression toward The disciples needed to be arrested, needed to be stopped, and Ananias' fear of that persecutor needed to be overcome. So both men simultaneously receive uh, visions from the Lord, instructions from the Lord. Ananias receives 
very specific instructions, including a name and an address. Here's the homeowner, Judas, and here's where he lives. You know, 506 Straight Street. Oh, I know right where that is. So it's very particular what the Lord tells Ananias. And you'll recall that in verse 9, Saul says uh, uh, that Saul was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. And now we and Ananias are basically told that what he's doing is he's fasting and he's praying. So uh, we got this picture of what's going on with Saul and his blindness. He's there. He's not eaten and he's praying. And so um, Saul uh, has also received a vision wherein Jesus told him very specifically to be expecting a man to come knocking at your door, and his name is Ananias. Uh, He's going to come. He's going to put his hands on you so that you might receive your sight. William Barclay called Ananias one of the forgotten heroes of the Christian church. You can imagine how any of us might respond to these kinds of instructions that Ananias, like he got. Uh, He had a question (laughs) regarding Saul's notorious reputation and the fact that he knew that he had arrest warrants from the high priest. In effect, he's saying, Lord, are you sending me on a suicide mission? Jesus reassured him and simply said, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine. And he's a chosen vessel to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias was a courageous man of faith who was obedient even when he was afraid. That's what courage is, right? Doing what God says to do even when we're afraid. And so we read in verse 17, Ananias went his way and entered the house. Imagine this beautiful scene. I mean, this is really beautiful. This is the kind of scene that really chokes me up if I'm watching it in a movie or reading it in a book. We know the background here of Saul, right? We know what's happened on the road to Damascus. And here comes this trembling, somewhat um, anxious perhaps, uh, Ananias knocking on the door. And the first thing he says to Saul is, Brother Saul. That's amazing. It's beautiful. He's welcomed, this arch enemy of Jesus is welcomed as a brother. And so Ananias gets to it, he lays his hands on Saul, and immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Now, again, I remind you that Luke is giving us a truncated version of this story, as we'll see at other instances here in this. He's compressing this story, so some of the details are left out. I don't know how immediate, how quickly the baptism took place after the site was received. I don't know if it was two minutes or five minutes or an hour and a half, but it happens very quickly. Like the blind man, 
that was healed in John 9. You remember that, right? man that was blind from birth. And he's hauled before the council, and they want to know what happened. Who healed you? Well, he didn't know very much. And he basically chastised the council and said, yeah, you're the teachers of Israel, and you don't know this? <laughs> Why don't you ask him? I know this. I was blind, and now I see. So this power of Jesus, this ability to give sight, uh, is demonstrated now. The light has come on. The darkness has been dispelled. And I thought about Psalm 36, which says, For for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. So Paul received his physical vision, but what's going to become clear is he's received another kind of vision uh, that has eliminated another kind of blindness that is far more critical. So N.T. Wright commented regarding Ananias. He said, um, we don't know how he became a follower of Jesus. We know nothing about him except this passage, and it's enough. That he was a believer, that he knew how to listen for the voice of Jesus, that he was prepared to obey it even though it seemed ridiculously dangerous, that he went where he was sent and he did what he was told, and he did it with love and grace and wisdom. You can't ask for more than that. Paul does give us a few more details on Ananias in Acts 22. Again, Paul retells this story, gives his testimony on a couple of occasions about his experience on the road to Damascus and now that he's in Damascus. And here's what he says in Acts 22, 12 through 21. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. And he stood and he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him, that is Jesus, saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So in the, in the midst of all of this, God is immediately putting Saul to work. He, he's speaking through Ananias. He's speaking directly to Paul or to Saul at this point, And he is getting ready to send him out. Now, again, this is a truncated story, so some time, there's going to be some time lapse here. We'll see, see this last part fulfilled when the story takes us from Damascus to Jerusalem. So Saul's baptism marks his public reception into the community of Jesus. He was now in Christ. 
He's completely identified with him. And then we are told that Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. You can imagine how nervous the disciples in Damascus were when they hear that Saul is coming over. He's coming to meet you. You know, was this some kind of a Trojan horse, uh, uh, a scheme to infiltrate their ranks? Well, Ananias, the man, remember God in his kind providence, says that's the guy I need right there. Remember he says about David at one point, I'm looking for a man after my own heart. Think of all kinds of people, the little servant girl to Naaman, Simeon in the temple. We could go on and on with all kinds of people that are kind of obscure, and then suddenly they show up because God's been watching them. God knows, that's who I need. I need, I need a guy like Ananias to do this. Why? Because everybody knew Ananias. Everybody trusted Ananias. Everybody saw how faithful Ananias was. And so Ananias is a mediator. He introduced Saul, and he reassures the other disciples that he was safe. And I'm sure they rejoiced then to hear of Saul's dramatic encounter with Jesus. And so we're told that Saul went straight to work. Verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not uh, he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And he has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. So the word was out far and wide that he, he, he had come and that he was go, had these arrest warrants and was going to gather up the Christians. And now suddenly he's preaching Christ, the resurrected Christ. And so Luke wants us to understand this was a big deal. All who heard him were amazed. This is stunning. Now, I have a couple of rabbits to chase in the sermon today. Uh, Arabia. There seems to be a time gap here. Remember that Luke, again, giving us a truncated version of the story that takes place now over several years. Um, we know that Saul soon traveled to Arabia and that he stayed there for about three years. Um, Jesus had told both Saul and Ananias, and I think this is the explanation, that he was going to show Saul how many things he must suffer for his namesake. And so Paul is going to explain this uh, in more detail in Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb... How long had God been planning to save him from his mother's womb and called me through his grace, his ill-deserved favor, I didn't deserve it at all, it was all grace, to reveal his son in me, why? That I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. So Arabia was not very far uh, at all. It's it's the the northwest tip 
of Arabia goes almost to Damascus. So it wasn't very far at all. This is likely the time where Jesus revealed to him uh, those truths that he would later call uh, the mystery having been made known to him by revelation or the gospel I received by revelation from Jesus Christ, uh, Ephesians 3 and Romans 16, Galatians 1. And central to that revelation was what we read about, that Paul will write about in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, 6 through 7, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So perhaps Saul spent three years with Jesus just as the apostles had spent about three years with Jesus. He had private tutoring. After his time in Arabia, Saul returns to Damascus, but not for long. Again, he may have been in and out. I don't know the details. We're not told. But so maybe he was in Damascus part of the time, Arabia part of the time. I don't know what his schedule was. And then one other side note, uh, Saul to Paul. I remember being a little confused as a boy regarding Saul and Paul uh, the same way I am when I watch a British movie or read a Russian novel. And I go, now, who is he? Uh, I get confused about, is that the same as that person and this person? And it t- took a little while in my head to kind of realize oh, these, are the, these are the same people. And so when he's first introduced in Acts, he's known as Saul. But then later, once his ministry is outside the Jewish community, uh, Luke starts to refer to him as Paul. Now, the name Paul in Latin, Paulus, doesn't seem to have any particular religious significance. Uh, The word Paul means small or little. Uh, Paul will say that others described him this way, 2 Corinthians 10, 11. uh, For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. I find some consolation in that. Uh, So we are left to speculate, which I intend to do right now. Now, it's possible that Saul began using the name Paul because it was a more familiar-sounding name to the Gentile audience that he was ministering to. Or, and this is the explanation that I think makes sense, Saul got changed to Paul as a nickname because he was a little guy. Saul, Paul just means little. In either case, Saul and Paul are the same person. So back to Damascus. Let's take up our story, verses 22 through 24. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. By the way, it's very similar language that's used to describe what Stephen was doing. He was confounding those that he was debating with. Verse 23, Now after many days were passed, the Jews uh, here in Damascus plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. They set up a roadblock. 
There's a be on the lookout for Saul. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. So it didn't take the gifted Saul long to get up to speed, and now he's confounding the Jews, and along the way, word gets to Saul. Perhaps there's some friendly insider uh, among the Jews who lets it be known uh, that the Jews are plotting to kill him. And we get a few more details from 2 Corinthians 11:32. says, In Damascus, the governor under Artus, the king, was guarding the city of Damascus with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. And so Artus was the king of Arabia. And again, a little speculation here on my part. Uh, he must. He either stirred up things in Arabia when he was over there, probably preaching boldly, or perhaps, and maybe this is more likely, the Jews knew he was in Arabia or going back and forth, and basically they asked the king of Arabia to extradite Saul to help them catch him. So in either case, it's, it's uh, the Jews in Damascus as well as the king of Arabia, who are now uh, out to get Saul. He gets word of this, and, um, and so it was time to get out of Dutch. Uh, this was probably one of the times when being small came in handy. It says it was a large basket, but it was still a basket. And uh, so you got the picture of a wall, and they're lowering him out a window with a rope and a basket at night. Um, it kind of, again, reminded me of Moses uh, escaping being killed by being hidden in a basket. So uh, you preppers probably ought to keep a basket handy. Um, so a little godly deception pays off. Now, that's Ananias, that's Saul, uh, the interaction here. Now let's take a look at Barnabas. Saul's experience in Jerusalem was similar uh, his upcoming experience in Jerusalem is similar to what happened in Damascus. Amazing. Wherever he goes, we're going to see this happen over and over and over. Why? Because he's preaching Jesus. He's preaching the word. He's confounding people. He, he's having an impact. You know, if you're not having an impact, nobody cares. They just ignore you. Barnabas is going to play a similar role to Ananias in that he will be a sort of mediator between the suspicious Saul and the disciples and the apostles in Jerusalem. On his arrival in the capital city, verse 26, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, several years have passed, but they're still not so sure about this guy. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he explained the situation to them. Verse 27 uh, Barnabas was clear, clearly an established and trusted man among the disciples, and now he is vouching for Saul, taking him to the apostles where he told them how he had seen the Lord. Uh, the Lord had spoken to him, and in Damascus he had preached fearlessly uh, the name of Jesus. Paul describes this, this incident, this situation where he goes to the apostles in Galatians 1, 18 through 20. He says, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. 
and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. So as a result of the testimony and mediation of Barnabas, by the way his name means encourager, uh, Saul was accepted as a Christian brother there in Jerusalem. He stays with them and he moves about freely in Jerusalem during this 15 days. It's roughly two weeks that we know he spent there. Saul clearly identified himself with this new society of Jesus. First in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, it says he sought out the disciples. He wasn't a lone ranger Christian. Well, it didn't take long before Saul stirred things up in Jerusalem. He's been there 15 days. Uh, That's about enough time, right? Perhaps we would say in our day Saul was controversial. You have to say it that way, too. He's, you know, he's controversial. Well, thankfully, many Christians were not embarrassed to identify with this controversial man. But some were, just like in our own day, right? Verse 28, so he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and out, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. Remember, that's the, the Greeks, the, uh, the, the Greek-influenced uh, Jews there, uh, but they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So Saul recognized that he had a new responsibility to the world, especially as a witness, and Luke alludes three times to the boldness of his preaching. First in Damascus, in verse 27, the very synagogues uh, to which the high priest had addressed letters authorizing Saul to go and arrest Christians. Second, uh, in Jerusalem itself, verse 28, the very seat of the Sanhedrin from whom the authority had come for him to do that. And he also debated with the great, uh, Grecian Jews, the Hellenists, like Stephen, perhaps at the very same synagogue. So he's in the belly of the beast, if you will. And as a result, he suffered for his testimony. As Jesus had warned that he would, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so Saul escaped Damascus in a basket, and now in Jerusalem, some Hellenists are trying to kill him. And so while Saul was praying, Jesus said to him, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Then his Christian brothers personally took him down to Caesarea on the coast, and from there they sent him by ship to Tarsus, his hometown, uh, where he seems to have stayed somewhat incognito for the next seven or eight years. Now, the next time we're going to hear of him is in Acts chapter 11, uh, verses 15 through 26. So just read a part of that, uh, 25 and 26. Then Barnabas, I'm sorry, yeah, verses 25 and 26. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. So here we are a number of years later, and Barnabas says, Last I knew Saul was in Tarsus. We need him. I'm going to go find him. So 
Barnabas departs for uh, uh, Tarsus. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. John Stott summarizes this way. Thus, the story of Saul's conversion in Acts 9 begins with him leaving Jerusalem with an official mandate from the high priest to arrest fugitive Christians and ends with him leaving Jerusalem as a fugitive Christian himself. Saul the persecutor has become Saul the persecuted. And in the rest of the Acts story, Luke tells us more of his hero's sufferings, how he was stoned in Lystra and left for dead, beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, the center of a public riot in Ephesus, arrested and imprisoned in Jerusalem, shipwrecked in the Mediterranean, and finally held in custody in Rome. Persecution, arrest, imprisonment, murder, escape, hiding. Now, this is not exactly the recipe for success. That is, unless Jesus is in charge. The world's opposition is nothing for him. It didn't even slow down the spread of the gospel or the growth of the church. On the contrary, Luke ends his story of Saul's conversion with his own summary in verse 31 here. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. In the midst of this hurricane, in the midst of this tsunami, in the midst of this storm, God has has prepared a place in the presence of his enemies, a table. He describes the church, which is now spread through Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, as having five characteristics. We'll just close with this. Peace. All that's going on around them, here they are in peace. Second, strength. They weren't weaker. They were stronger. Consolidated uh, in their position. Third, encouragement. They... uh, They were enjoying the special ministry of the Holy Spirit, if you will. They were actually encouraged in the midst of this. Fourth, growth. They were multiplying numerically. And then finally, godliness. They were living in the fear of the Lord. We're trusting God. We don't know how how to get through to the next day, the next week. But right now, we're going to trust him. We fear him more than we fear men. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for telling and preserving this story for us. It's exciting and reassuring to see how you work to confound your enemies and to sustain your people. It's encouraging to see how you use men like Ananias and Barnabas 
to advance your cause and to bring about your perfect plan. Thank you for the trophies of your grace, men like Saul and many others who were rescued and turned into useful vessels. Help us to live lives of gratitude as we see how you have rescued and blessed us as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Very shortly after Saul's conversion, he is learning quickly what he will write about later in Romans, the eighth chapter, a passage you're familiar with, but one we need to hear again. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sakes... Your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am pretty sure that Saul, or Paul, felt an adrenaline rush more than once. There is no indication, though, that he was afraid, even in the most perilous of situations. Like the rest of us, he didn't know what tomorrow held for him, but he did know who held tomorrow. What are you afraid of? The Apostle Peter instructs us, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Isaiah declared, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in Yahweh forever for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. And in Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, These promises, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We come to the table every week for a lot of reasons. The Lord said to. We're here to remember him, his death, what he's done for us. But this is a time, this is the the climax, the apex, the crescendo of our worship service that brings us to the table where we renew covenant with our faithful husband. He's been perfectly faithful, but I haven't. So I'm not to come here casually and just do this thing one more time and then so I can get back to the regularly scheduled programming. I'm here to remember that he laid down his life, that he purchased me, and I belong to him. I'm not my own. 
I have done things, I have thought things, I have said things that were not reflections of that truth this week. Perhaps you have. I want to ask you and remind you that as we come to this table, this is the time where we should be joyful but also sober. We should also we should be thinking, wow, the Lord is amazing in his grace toward me. He loves me so much. But Lord, I did some things this week I'm ashamed of, and I don't want to do those anymore. So this is a time to say to him in your heart, to say to yourself, this week's going to be different by the grace of God. Lord, as I eat this bread today and feed on you, and as I drink the cup and remember the blood that washed away last week's sins, help me not to have so many to have to be washed next week. Help me. Strengthen me. Help me speak boldly, to live boldly for the name of Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you also for the faithful saints who have both guarded and delivered the gospel to us, who by their lives and testimonies were faithful to their calling. We rejoice in your kind providence which brought the good news to our ears and for the Holy Spirit who opened our hearts to receive so great a salvation. Help us now to live with a new, with, with a view of our mission to raise our children accordingly with right thinking and with hearts that love the way of the Lord that we might embrace your mission and transmit that mission to our children and our children's children so that we might be found standing with all the faithful as we proclaim the good news to all men everywhere. Bless now our feasting and our resting, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. Amen.